time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 98 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? We are revisiting the Ethiopian coffee today. It's good. It's, it's really smooth. I like it. I need some strong coffee. So that's what we're doing. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It's been a great weather pattern, but we did just have a hurricane hit Florida, so we're hoping that all of our chicken keepers stayed safe during the hurricane with your chickens. It's scary. Anytime you have bad weather with chickens, it's just, it's alarming. Yeah, I don't like it. Hurricanes, blizzards, all that stuff. Whatever, Yeah. Oh, I have chickens a... in a blizzard. Oh, God, that's the worst. <laughs> this, this makes me laugh. And I know I'm a dinosaur. I know this. But I see these young things and they're dispensing chicken advice on what to do for winterizing. <laughs> and I'm like, have you ever kept chickens through a double blizzard? <laughs> it's craziness. Because you prepare differently when you know those things can happen. Oh, my God. I will never forget that. So I think that was before you had chicken. Yeah, I think it was. And so... The winter before. Yeah. So I dug a pathway down to the llama barn, and I dug a path from the llama barn to the horse barn. And I was living on the farm at the time. Yeah. So it was just my mom and I taking care of all the animals. Yeah. We went back up. I was like, crap, the chickens. (laughs) And so I dug out the chickens. No problem. I was exhausted. I was ready to keel over. I just wanted to go back in the house and have coffee. And then I realized that... All the chicken food was in the shed, and the shed was under like a seven-foot drift. Yeah, it's like you have to prepare. You have to get all your food together. Yeah, you really have to have everything. I've been with a a few feet of snow with the chickens, and basically, I'm of the thing, I like to bring them up in the garage if I can. I would do that now. I didn't do it then, but I would do that now. Like, as we learn, we go. Exactly. I have some exciting chicken news. Doesn't involve a double blizzard? It involves the Andalusians, as in everything I talk about these days involves the Andalusians. What are the Andalusians doing? They're sleeping outside now. Yay. Yay. Mine still aren't out yet. We're starting to integrate them. Like but, We're starting to let them mingle a bit. Okay, so this is a kind of funny story. I have the two coops in the big run, and then the other one has the other two coops. I'm talking about the big run. Right. right. Where they are. So the babies, Gertie and June and Cornelia, are in the big red coop. And then everybody else was in the Amish coop. The smaller coop. So I put them in there because I don't want the Andalusians in with Clover because they have a bad habit of picking on her. So I put them in, and they go out. Second night, put them in. They come out the next morning. Third night, there's only two chickens in the Amish coop that want to be in there. (laughs) Everyone else moved over to the red coop. With the Andalusians? No, the ones without the Andalusians. Okay. So now it's just Katie Tea Biscuit, Spicy, Basil, Rosemary, and Rita. Okay. 
everybody was like, I want out. And they all moved over to the red coop. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> there are something like nine chickens in the red coop and like five in the other coop. Okay. I'm like, I don't care how y'all work it out. Well, the Rhode Island Red and the Speckled Sussex are not afraid to hang out with the wild children. Well, I feel like you have to put them in when it's almost dark because uh-huh. yeah. if not, they'll pick on them first. Oh, yeah. So I had to do that. And then I had to switch it up a little bit and take Katie down and put her up and move her because uh-huh. she was the one picking on them. Okay. But I just thought it was funny that everybody's like, oh, we love this coop until Rosemary, Basil, until the and Andalusians Ruth. move in. <laughs> They're like, take us back to the other coop. Mary has gotten into the pen with the Andalusians a few times. And when we first started taking the Andalusians out into the pen within the larger Jersey's yard, Mary Berry the Speckled Sussex was one of the ones who would chase them and pick on them. Now, if Mary gets in with them, she completely ignores them and runs right for the food, uh, which is grublies. Yeah, yeah. She goes for that every time. The other really interesting thing is that Zara is fascinated with them. She runs up to them and looks at them. She's, She's like, like, you're my cousins. Yeah, or my sister from <laughs> another mother or something. <laughs> yeah. I recognize your Mediterranean heritage. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, can these wild children get into something else? I mean, seriously. They're but just... they come running out in the morning like, get us out of here. <laughs> I just love watching them. You left them. us with a Rhode Island Red and, and a Speckled Sussex. They might be some of my favorite chickens to watch. They're just so funny. Oh my goodness. They're crazy. That's, They're crazy. That's a lot of intelligence packed into a little birdie brain. <laughs> it is. Okay, so I'm going to ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And the other thing that really, really helps us grow is if you hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell a chicken-loving friend about the show. You can check out our Etsy shop. We have t-shirts and our new mugs available. mugs are back. You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. And the other thing you can do to help support the show is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the Ikea scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. 
Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. time for Breed Spotlight, yeah. Yeah. Was that, was that like a processional for the queen? Yes, yes. Okay, because so this week's Breed Spotlight is... The Queen Sylvia. These are beautiful birds, and they were developed by Martin Silverrud. A monk. And named after Queen Sylvia of Sweden. She's actually the longest reigning monarch of Sweden. This is one of our few... Swedish chickens? Yeah. We've got a handful of them. But not that many. Queen Sylvia, if you don't know the background, she married and took the throne in 1976, and she's still on the throne right. of Sweden. If you haven't heard any of our previous episodes, where, much to Chrissy's delight, we discuss Father Silverod. Yes, the monk. Father Martin Silverod was a Catholic monk who spent like four or five decades breeding chickens in Sweden. I always want to know, could he not speak? Did he take a vow of silence? No, there are photographs of him. Speaking? Yeah, I'm pretty and sure. he just had all this time to like relax and do chicken breeding. I'm sure he did other pastoral <laughs> things, but I guess I guess he had his time for chicken breeding. Yes, so- he did. He specialized in creating auto-sexing breeds yeah. that were also great layers. Yes. And he really liked to concentrate on colored eggs. So some of the breeds that he developed that you might know, the Silverud's Blue, also called the Ice Bar. Yep. We had to make sure we called them Silverud's Blue because last time a breeder got really salty with us. They, they got a little <laughs> salty, but I mean, Ice Bar, come on. I, it's, They're listed as Ice Bar most places. Yeah. So Silverud's Blue. The beautiful little leghorn-derived 55 flowery hen. Which we have a brief spotlight on them. I really like that chicken. And then the small land, which we haven't done yet. Which I don't think we've done that one No, yet. we haven't. So those are just a few of them. Now, in the case of the Queen Sylvia, it has tightly barred feathers. Mm-hmm. Just think about that. In the case of the Queen Sylvia, Silverwood allegedly used leghorns and Rhode Island reds. Do you have a photo of these up? Yes. Okay. Of course I do, because I can't talk about a chicken unless I can put my eyes right, on Right. Well, them. I'm saying this because of this. So we've actually seen some conflicting information about this. Now, remember, this is a barred chicken. Right. I read in one source that Silverrod used a genetic mutation or a natural sport of the white leghorn. And then I read in another source that he got the barring by using the Norwegian Yerhan, which is a small barred bird that the Queen Sylvia does resemble quite a bit. Does, but I see the leghorn. Here's the thing. We've learned that Father Silverwood was truly a master breeder. Mm -hmm. So honestly, either scenario is entirely possible. It is. And some of the pictures that I have up, the ladies don't have as big of combs, but the boys do. Yes, they do. And that would be a derivative of the leghorn. There are a lot of things about them that looks like it could have come from the leghorn. And we do know that the leghorn has thrown interesting sports. Right. There is a cuckoo leghorn. Right. But this would have been a sport of the white. So we don't know exactly how he created them. Even if they had some Yerhan in there, I would just think that makes it an extra cool bird. They have that same look of, to me, Campine, Fayumi, yeah. all that yep. in that same type of family. Well, the Yerhan too looks like that. Yeah, yeah. I just like if you like a certain style, if you like this style bird, you will like the Queen Sylvia because- If you like those sprightly little birds, They which all I have do. the same look. They do, them. yeah. 
Now, just so you know what we're looking at, the Queen Sylvia are small to medium, mostly medium-bodied birds with either gold or silver barring. And that's also super common with all the breeds you mentioned. Yeah. Their boring is fine and tight. So again, it's somewhat similar to the boring in the Campines and the Hamburgs and they've, all of that lot. They've the got some yellow lakes, which yep. is good. Yeah. And their combs are straight and they have white earlobes, which yes. tells us that they're not going to lay white eggs, but they should. Exactly. <laughs> I went around right. the block with that when I was trying to fool everybody a little bit. <laughs> I had to check like many places. I was like, wait, do they really have white earlobes and lay brown eggs? But they do. I mean, that has happened a few times. Yeah. So it can happen. So both sexes have either silver or gold heads. Yeah. They have mostly black tails. Now, the roosters are quite handsome. They have the barred body, but then they have these flowing silver hackle and saddle feathers. They're like a two-tone bird. Yeah, it's really pretty. I mean, it's like you get the best of both worlds. It's almost like you get a bird that's half solid and half barred. Yes. Like I said, they take me to the Campine, to the Egyptian Fiumi. Campine came right to my head. Yeah, me too, first. I I will say that for various reasons, Campine are my first choice. Yeah. And I've wanted Campines for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, I have Fiumis that look almost identical to the Queen Sylvia. Yeah. So as pretty as these chickens are, they're not APA accepted. So they can't be shown here in the U.S. at American Poultry Association shows. Okay. They are active and enthusiastic foragers. And by all accounts, they do not do well in small confined spaces. So yeah, let's put this category in our Andalusians, all those kind of Mediterranean breeds. This is not a Mediterranean breed, but kind of in that personality where they- small, sprightly chicken that needs a lot of space. They need the big Mm. space. Yeah. Because if not- you're going to be dealing with some bullying, feather picking, and all those usual problems when you, they get bored in a little space. And they fly. Yeah. So you're <laughs> going to need a roof because if not, then you're going to need a ladder to get up in oh, a tree yeah. to get them out. So they're little and tiny, but you need big space. Oh, you do. Yeah. So don't let them be fooled by it's a little bird. You need a little space. Right. You know, when you look at the Mediterraneans, I feel like the leghorns are some of the most docile of the Mediterranean. Oh, totally. And they get the reputation of not being, which kind of gets me. Right, but they are. And I'm not saying Lucy's not smart because she is, but she doesn't have that wild, independent brain of an Andalusian. And we're not knocking the Andalusians. I mean, they're gorgeous birds and we love them. We're just dealing with a lot of Andalusian drama right now. So you keep hearing More about it. More on your side than mine. Oh, mine are spitfires, man. Mine are spitfires, but they're bowing to the higher powers in the flock. Mine are spitfires in a very laid back flock. Yeah. These birds are all in the same. They're highly right. intelligent. They need to have space. And if they don't have the space, even though they're smaller to medium body. Destructive habits. Yep. Yes. Now, they are widely described as having lots of personality and attitude. <laughs> and like that's charming in a hen, right? Unfortunately, the roosters are also described as not playing well with others. So this is one to think about. Yeah. This is one that I would say is not for a beginner. He's mighty pretty, but he's a bad boy. I mean, if you're a beginning chicken keeper, you want to get the breeds that you're going to be able to handle easier so that you learn how to do it first. I would honestly say that this is a bird where you need some experience under your belt. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Most accounts were saying that the hens are like delightfully sassy. They just love the hens. But that large groups of Queen Sylvia's ranging can become reactive and flighty, which I can see. They're kind of reverting to, you know, there's natural fight or flight behaviors. Yeah. They'll fight with other chickens, but they'll fly from everything else. Right. And they're little, so they can. Right. 
you really need to be prepared for birds like this. If you're not, your life will be miserable. Right. Because they need space, but they need to be protected. Right. I mean, I really do think this is a bird for an experienced keeper. So let's go into laying. Hens are excellent layers of the medium-sized brown eggs, sometimes pinkish in color. Yeah. But if you let them free range, beware of their preference for laying their eggs in some hiding spot. So you get to play hide and seek. Or so have you an Easter say, egg hunt. <laughs> where is my egg today? <laughs> and sometimes that's not so much fun. I mean, that's just another way that that independent streak is showing itself. They're like, I'm not going to put an egg in a box yeah. for you. Nope. You're going to have to go out and find it. And then, then you can cook it and eat I'll just, it. I'll give you a hint, man. It's in the flower garden somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So they're rumored to go broody. I couldn't substantiate that one way or the other. I saw somebody mention that they go broody. So we're going to go with it. I can't see that because I put them in the same category. They have leg heart in them. All birds in that kind of category don't. Does the hunt go broody easily? I'm not sure. Well, I just did a quick check. The Norwegian hunt is not known to go broody. So I don't know. But- if you free range and you can't find your bird, she may be sitting on a bunch of hidden eggs somewhere. We don't recommend that. We recommend that you have them in a big run yeah. with a roof because we only do supervised free range. Yeah. So where do we get them? Well, some bad news. For years, Greenfire Farm carried them. And I just checked before we recorded this episode, and they no longer have them listed for sale. But I'm pretty sure I've seen them listed as hatching eggs on Greenfire Farms eBay shop. And so essentially, if you are interested in getting hatching eggs for this bunch, you could follow Greenfire Farm on eBay and keep your eyes out because you'll be notified whenever they have hatching eggs go up for auction. Now, here's the other thing. For our UK and European listeners, they are available. Yeah, you can get so them across the pond. So if you like mm-hmm. this bird and you're in the UK or Europe, you're not going to have a problem. Yeah, no, that should be fine. If, it, if you're in the US, you may have some problems. Yeah, I have a feeling that Greenfire Farm also will auction off rare breed assortments on eBay. Right. All these are hatching eggs. And I think they might show up in there. I don't know if they're phasing them out. Right. So if this is a bird you really, really want, I would drop them an email. Okay, so go to Facebook. Try Facebook groups. Yeah. And try to search breeders there or just search them on Google. Yeah, they. I mean, they were available through Greenfire Farm for several years. So they it may is, get them back. I'm not sure why they delisted them. Now, if you have the Queen Sylvia and you would like to show us, we would love to see the Queen Sylvia. I mean, they're beautiful birds. They have a beautiful name. Yeah, send us pictures. We'll give you a story. We love, love, love to see your birds out there. So send us pictures. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so now it's about that time that we go across the pond and have coffee with the owner. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey, Fiona, how are you doing this month? We've had Limpy Chick. So that's been a bit of drama. We've got chick drama as well in the coops. So Licorice had Uno and Marshmallow had Doss and Tress. Now, Marshmallow has decided that she doesn't want to be a chick mama anymore. So she's coming back onto Lay, but she's still with Licorice and the chicks in that coop. So they're all (laughs) sleeping together. In the meantime, Licorice decided that Uno is old enough to go off to college and oh, wow. you know, is not going to intervene when Marshmallow chases him out of the coop anymore. He's not interested. So there's Uno crying at the door each night oh, boy. and Marshmallow chasing him out. But he's fine. He goes and sleeps with big kids. He's absolutely fine. There's no okay. issue at all. So he's happy with them. Now, Doss and Tress are not sleeping under Marshmallow. They're sleeping under Licorice. <laughs> And they're not licorice's <laughs> chicks. It's honestly, it kind of blows my mind. If you thought Dallas was a great drama, you've got to watch Broody <laughs> Hens the, and their chicks. It's the chicken circus over there. Who's going to be wearing what big tent here, there, everywhere? <laughs> but then Limpy Chick, we came out one morning and there was a chick who couldn't stand up. And actually she was trying to walk, balancing on a wing and one leg. Oh, Lord. I know. So we scooped her up, had her checked out, no broken bones, no major injuries. They think because she had some minor cuts on her leg that she'd managed to catch it somehow, got it trapped, got panicked and pulled so hard that she's actually done some damage to the joints a little bit. So there was heat, there was heat in her hip, there was heat in her knee and there was heat on her ankle. Uh, We had her in a dog crate for 48 hours. We then put her in a very small coop with a very small run. And she was in there for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, she was trying to get out every morning when I was, you know, sitting with her and giving her a bit TLC. And I let her out and she's fine. You'd never even know there was a problem with her. So it's now three weeks later and she's tickety-boo. Other than purple spray on one leg, you'd never know there'd been a problem. She looks amazing in those videos. Yeah. (sighs) I'd already marked her out as a keeper because I really want to breed from her. So she already had a particular colored tag on her leg, which meant we'd marked her out as, as keeping her. But yeah, I was devastated to see her in that state. I was absolutely devastated. And I still can't work out how she did it. Yeah. I've been around the entire place. I've got no idea. Huh. Sometimes you just don't know. You got to go with it, get them better. And you did. I mean, you know, soft tissue damage is its own problem, but at least it can heal pretty well. Just take some time. Yeah. Yeah. And she definitely needed that time in isolation. But uh, I was glad I moved her out to the small coop and run because she's in the middle of the field still. And there's one cockerel who was in her clutch uh, hatched with her and he would sit next to the little run all day. Oh, it was the sweetest thing. Honestly. Oh, my God. I just love the rooster boys. They are so sweet. Oh, they are. (laughs) Is he a candidate for next year? No, no, he's actually sold. Oh, okay. He's going. Yeah. He's a really good example. He's a, he's because he's so friendly, because he's really lovely. I mean, he comes and sits on my knee, loves to be handled, loves to be around people. So he's actually going to be a breeding rooster because he's related to all of the ones which we've bred. We can't keep him as breeding rooster. So he can't stay with us. 
but yeah, he's he's been sold. He's going in a few weeks. Not yet. Nice. He's going. I think in about four weeks. I think it's four weeks time. Is that he's been picked up? Yeah. I really wish more people would breed based on breed standard and personality. Right. It's so important. Yeah, I do get a lot of people actually writing to me saying my cockles are a problem and my my hens are nasty and, you know, my brood hens keep biting me. And I keep saying, well, you know, if you're going to breed from them next time, keep the nice ones, keep the friendly ones, because it it does come down the bloodlines. And we've done that for years. And oh, my goodness, I've not been bitten by a broody hen in years now. Nice. I think the last one who bit me was Ginger, and that must have been about eight years ago now. Oh, wow. I keep the, wow. I've still got the footage, and I still keep publishing the footage <laughs> because it's a good illustration of yeah. how broody hens can be. Yeah. But yeah, it's been about eight years since, wow. since I had Ginger, yeah. I mean, it shows, you know, a long-term breeding program that's taken personality into account. It shows, it oh, does. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jelly Bean is probably the worst, but all she does is kind of fluff up, make a few noises and go forward a little bit. You know, okay. she never, she doesn't make contact. She do, never actually bites. Okay. It's almost like a lunge, I'm warning you. But then I'll pop my hand underneath, take out any eggs that she's stolen, still lift her up, make sure she's not got any more eggs she sat on because she's not hatching anything. She's not actually got a clutch. She's going through yeah. this broody period. So yeah, she's about as close as we get to aggressive and she's just so lovely. That's really wonderful. But you can't have an aggressive pen called Jelly Bean, can you? <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's jump from broodiness to, hey, it's cooling down. Let's all like put our hands it's in the fall. air. Yay, it's fall. Our favorite time of the year, fall and spring, fun time. Apart from the molting. <laughs> right. Exactly, which is bad. Right. But today at our round table, we're going to talk about deep cleaning for the fall because this is when you kind of have to do that to get ready for the winter. Because if you do a deep litter method, that has to start about now. Yes. So you have to do a big clean out now. So we're going to talk about some things that we do around our homesteads to deep clean for the fall. We'll start with Fiona. I mean, I don't actually do anything different for the fall because I don't do the the deep litter method. And because we've got the broodies, I go through a process of actually doing a full deep clean once a month. And some of it is because of, you know, the likelihood of northern fowl mite and red mite and what have you. I strip down the coops every single month. And I've actually taken in recent years to using a steam cleaner. That's a good idea. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I mean, particularly no. on the plastic coops so much, it's yeah. it's great. But on the wooden coops with a shiplap as well, with a fold over, that steam gets into all of those little nooks and crannies that even when I use the insecticidal disinfectants, I'm never quite sure it's getting as far in, but that steam is going to get anything that wants to live in those nooks and crannies. So really yeah, good. so what I do is on a daily basis, I do a poo pick and I do a general tidy up. And then on a monthly basis, I will take all bedding out. I will then just do a scrub down with basic soap and water. I will then rinse it all off. And I use an insecticidal disinfectant called Smite. I use that all of the time. And then once a quarter, I will use a steam cleaner. I don't use that every month because okay. it's too much faff getting it out to the field. And, you know, yeah. we do have electrics out there, but I've still got to put the extension reel out. And it's a process. It is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And then 
you've got to avoid the chickens being around the steam as well because they're oh, all yeah. curious. They want to know what's going on. They're and like, that clearly, was cool, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a slight safety hazard thing going on oh, there, so yeah, I've got to be yeah. very careful about it's it. It's like a chicken get a facial. But the problem yeah. I have at this time of year is actually getting the coop to dry. Okay. Because clearly it's soaking and I'm using lots of water yeah. and even the insecticidal disinfectant, that's a leave-on one. So, okay. you know, when you spray it, you're not rinsing it off. You're, right. you're just leaving it. So sometimes I have to take a dryer out. Oh, wow. This is the thing, everyone. It takes time to take care of the chickens and do these cleaning because in the long run, it will save you some heartache down the road. You have to tailor a lot of this on your climate. You'd probably never run into this, Fiona, but every fall when we take our fans out of the coop, there is a buildup of cobwebs and dust because feathers and dander have been circulating. Yeah. So that's a big thing that we do in the fall. And, you know, if you're not in a region where you need to have coop fans in the summer because it's blazing hot, you get to skip this step. Yeah. I deep clean probably every two weeks or so, take everything out. I use vinegar in there to try to disinfect everything, the roost. The other thing for deep cleaning is covering those roosts. I use contact paper. It works great. Or like Holly said, you can use sandpaper. You can sand down the little rough parts that they've made with their nails or use the vinegar right on the roost. I scrub the roost probably either once a month or every six weeks. And I'll probably sand only once a year. I usually do it in the spring. Yeah, I sand once a year because we've only got one coop that's got perches and that's for the cream laid bars and the well summers Ah, because the Orpingtons and the other perch in the other coops, they don't like to perch. They prefer to sit, even if I put perches in, they'll sit on the the shavings. They're just not interested. Mine don't do that and I'm always wondering why. I'm like, isn't it more comfortable to be in those shavings than up on that roost? Mine like to be up on the roost. My nan can sleep in the shavings and then Casper, the Swedish flower, sleeps in the shavings because of his bad foot probably yeah Yeah. i mean i'm fine if they do it just most of them don't for whatever reason yeah and you know i do the contact paper on the roost because i can switch it out yeah as part of that deep clean changing it i can get a fun print i can go right to our dollar store and get it and it's inexpensive i use something similar on the external high perches right so i don't sand those down i actually have very thin rubber matting yeah. yeah. So two mil rubber matting, which I've just basically nailed underneath. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, so the claws are never actually meeting the join at all or where the nails are in. But that works brilliantly. I was concerned when I first did it because I thought they wouldn't be able to grip it properly. I know that sounds weird. I really thought they wouldn't be able to grip it, but they're fine. They love it. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the deep cleaning is actually a little bit of getting ready for winter. So taking out the fans, cleaning those, putting those away for the year, making sure all the cobwebs are out from inside, and then bringing out the industrial strength extension cords on our side so that we can have the heated bowls going or the cozy coop heaters going. Having that secure is part of the deep clean and part of getting ready for the fall. I mean, our climate here is a lot more temperate. So if we do need fans, it's for a very, very short period of time. So it's a a matter of days rather than the weeks and weeks and weeks that you've got them. And our winters are very temperate as well. They rarely get down 
really in recent years rarely got down below zero, to be brutally honest. So that's good. Cook, I'm jealous. Cook I'm heaters jealous. Very haven't envious. been needed. I mean, right now is the perfect weather here in the chicken world, in the, yeah. in the mid-Atlantic where we are. It's breezy. It's nice. It's still warm at night. And it's just perfect for a chicken. So we're thankful. We both try to get rechargeable fans so that we don't need the electric. But the electric is such a necessary for fall and into winter yeah. because you need to have a bowl that's not going to freeze and a way to get those cozy computers in for those really frigid nights that you may yeah. need them. So that's I mean, the most we do to keep the frost out of the drinkers is basically put them inside a shelter. And that seems to do the job. That's yeah. awesome. For us. That's yeah. So we don't so need these. That. You know, I tried to find heated drinkers in the UK and I really, really struggled. I, I just don't think there's very much demand for them. So we, it's yeah. almost impossible to find them. We use a heated dog bowl. The heating coil is under the underside of the dog bowl. And then right. it has an outlet that just heats that coiling system up. And what I do too is I go on Amazon and I get those stake in electrical outlets that everybody uses for Christmas lights so that you can plug in like four to five things and have them going and put them in the center. So I have that availability to run cords from different areas. They're made for outside. They're made for Christmas lights. So it's not like an extension cord that's made for inside the house or heavy duty. We actually had more external outlets put in. I mean, if you can do it. That's what we've got. Yeah. Yeah. I have the one that I have at the house and then I've got to roll the extension cord all the way back to the property. Yeah. We've always talked about putting electric in and you know what? We want to, but it would be back in the third acre of our property and it's, you know, it's more expensive. So we're like, okay, we're yeah. going to do it at some point. But until then, it's pull out the electric cord yeah, wheel, well, extension yeah. cords. That's probably the rule more than the exception. I would imagine most people are running multiple extension cords to their coops. You would think. And, yeah. and the lucky ones do have electricity, which I find that really, really lucky. We saved quite a lot of money putting electricity down the bottom of our field, though, because we found that the expensive part of putting it in was actually digging the trench, that the electrics was the really cheap part. So we just dug the trench ourselves. And then our electrician came and corded it all out in armoured casing. It was so much cheaper doing it that way. That's That's a good point. You know, if you can get out there. My old back is like, do not dig anymore. I'm like, no, Man, get, need- get Joe in a mini digger. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Joe, get that mini digger. Come on. We got to dig it. this trench. Boys and their toys would be a great weekend for him. And the two girls. Get out there and dig a trench. Yeah. Girls. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they would say, where are you in this? I'd be like, do you need a lemonade? I'll get it for you. <laughs> to be honest, if I had a mini digger on the property, I'd be digging the trench. Yeah. I'd be like, look out. I got stuff <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah. That would be fun. I'd be out there singing, Bob the Builder, all the time. I'd be having great fun. Anyway, yeah. sorry, we're digressing. That's okay. <laughs> the deep clean is so important at this time. And everybody yeah. does it a little differently. I'm not speaking for you wrongly, but I don't think you do deep litter either in the winter. I don't do deep litter in the winter. It's a really good method. And I actually use it with the sheep and the llamas and alpacas because there's a lot of microbial action that can keep them warm. Yes, Not as important with the sheep, but the llamas and alpacas are fairly geriatric. It does add some heat and it is a way to add some heat to your coop. But because we are in the mid-Atlantic, which is the home of mold and mildew, probably not found anywhere else in the world. I like my coop dry in the winter. And do you know why I don't do it? It's because the rise of red mite and northern foul mite Ah. in winter. 
I hear this old wives tale the whole time over here. People say to me, but we don't need to worry about red mite and northern foul mite in winter. And then all you have to do is look at social media, November, December, January, February. And there are people saying, I'm overrun with red mite. That's when mites are most plentiful. It's cold and they want a source of blood and heat. So oh, yeah. yeah. That's when they're coming in. That's when you yeah. really, really see them. But yeah. there's a myth out there that they kind of hibernate and they go away like other insects in winter, but it's not no. the case, is it? No, no. I'm always slightly fearful with deep litter method of the moisture that everything creates. Moisture inside the coop overnight with low temperatures and frostbite in there. Mm. So that's one reason why I don't do it. I get myself out there every two weeks and change the litter and keep it thicker. I do yeah. make it a lot thicker with the shavings oh, than yeah, I do in yeah. the summer because yeah. I want to insulate. There are other things that you can do too is insulate under so that wind cannot go all the way around the coop. It will keep it warmer. That's the one thing that I would use a straw bale for is to put under the coop and then take out. The That's only okay. problem with straw bale underneath the coop is that potentially that can be a, an inviting home for rodents. You're right. Yep. I think I would only use it for like really cold nights. I, my mom always says this. Are you getting out there and wrapping a big quilt around the coop? It makes sense. Yeah, you could. You don't want to cut off your ventilation, though, but you could insulate it that way somehow if you had that, but you don't want to cut off the ventilation or circulation in there. I just put an extra couple of inches of shavings in. That's what, That's I, do what I do instead. Yeah. That's what I do as well. Deep litter is great. And I know people who use it to great effect. It really mm. is fantastic. I like to keep my coop differently. It Everything just, has pros and cons. Thing. That's yeah, right. the thing. There's a wonderful thing about the heat it produces and it does keep them naturally warm. Yes. But because you're not removing the bedding, there is more likelihood that there could be some pests in there, right. which you may not otherwise notice by taking the bedding out. So that's a downside. But it's horses for courses, what suits you and your flock. For exactly. me, I prefer not to. I think we are the only chicken keepers at the moment in our area who doesn't have red mite. Oh, wow. I know if you're doing it right, the natural bacteria takes care of a lot of stuff. But I will say that over many years of doing it with my larger livestock, there's always spots where there is like mold that I don't want my animals to the, yeah. the other thing is... And that's what my fear is. If they're in yeah. there, you don't want the urates building up from the urine. You have to manage it correctly. So it has to be turned over yes. and you have to add more... It's not just letting it sit there. No, there's no, no. a process yes. to it. Yes. And you have to put yourself 100% into the process yeah, in not, order to do it correctly. Not cleaning your coop does not equal That's deep, not deep litter. litter. <laughs> That's yeah. just like, hey, I didn't clean my coop for three months. Right. But there's a process that you have to go through. So it's good to do all the research right. and know if yeah. that's going to be best for you. And the other thing is deep litter, I would say, is not appropriate for chickens who prefer to sleep on the bedding. 100% exactly. it's, it's appropriate if they're perching. Yes. It's not appropriate if they want to sleep on the bed. Totally agree. Right, right. Yeah, that's definitely the truth. So, I, you know, I tend to get out there every two weeks and switch it out and I get a look at what's going on in there. But like I said, deep cleaning for fall is kind of partially my setup for winter also. It's like me getting yeah, out at there, the same time. looking at the fencing, making sure there's no holes, making what? sure oh, yeah. drafts in the coops, Part all that of good stuff. Part of our deep clean is getting the leaves off of the top of our runs because we do have our tops are mesh. It's a heavy deer netting. And so as the fall goes on, you start to see these dips filled with leaves on top. So Pete will go out with the leaf blower and it's hilarious. Oh, that's a great idea. 
He'll walk into a room with the leaf blower and all the girls run up. What are you doing? And he turns it on. Then they run away. And it's an explosion <laughs> of chickens running in the other direction. Oh, I used to I have that, that in the old run. I'm not going to have it now because we have the new run with yeah, the roof. Yeah. So I was out there with you. This year will be the first year that I do not have to clean the leaves, the leaves off the off. top. Yep. That will be one thing off my list, which will be good. Yeah, that'll be amazing. I'm going to use the leaf blower trick actually on the fruit cage because clearly we don't have hawks and things like you have. Right. Well, we have hawks, but not hawks that are going to attack the chickens. So we don't have a covered area. So we don't have a roof that we need to clear off, but the fruit cage does. Yeah. And can I ask you, do you have this quandary at this time of year with the ventilation in the coops, whether how far over to slide it, to close it over? It's Yeah. Is that going to keep them too hot? Are they going to be too cold if it's too open? At least in summer, open it fully. There's no thought process. But this time of year, it's do I put it a little bit across? Do I put it a lot across? Yep. Right now, it's just starting to get chilly here. Last night, it dropped into the 40s. What I ended up doing is on my big coop, so, you know, there are two big front windows with sliding screens. Yeah. The length of the back coop is simply a like a wooden shutter. Right. I got in both the big coops and I shut the screens and left the shutter open. That's what I did. So that there wasn't a cross breeze blowing the top of them. Some of their molting right now, like Dolly the Dominique, her little butt is naked, literally. <laughs> we very few that have tails over here right now. It's so pitiful, man. I didn't want all that cold wind on my poor half-naked girls. I'm like, oh. come on, come on. Grow these feathers in. Yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of the first cool night. It was funny. I went out to walk the dogs, and Sophia just laughed at me because she's like, you look like a little old lady because I was hunched over. I'm like, oh, my God, hurry the up. Chilly. Yeah. That's the first night we've had in the cold. 40s. Yeah, it was yeah. cold. This gets you started, gets you revved up. Let's get things set up for winter so that that can go as smoothly as possible. Do either one of you do anything special with the runs in preparation for winter? I'm going to be adding more wood chips to our runs as a preparation to keep it more insulated off the ground. So that gives them a little bit more space between hard frozen ground and their feet. Uh I still have my wood pile. So I'm very happy that I got the wood, <laughs> oh, wood chips. Yeah, the wood, wood chips, chips from my neighbor's apple yeah. tree that they had taken down, which I knew was completely pesticide free. Yeah. So those will be going in additionally to give me a nice thick layer for them because it tends to go out. Even if they kick it out, it disintegrates, whatever. Yeah, so it'll, break yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll break down. It'll break down over time. Yeah. Well, at the moment, while my lot is still free ranging, so my biggest problem is as the leaves start to fall from the trees, it's actually keeping the leaves off the electric fence oh, because yeah. obviously they're still on grass. So I don't really need to do anything with the grass other than it suddenly started growing again. Now it's not hot and dry. So I'm having to cut it every week, even though the chickens are grazing. Oh, the wow. place is so big. I'm still having to cut it. Right. Well, I cut it yesterday. It looks amazing out there. It looks wonderful. It looks so neat. But I have made arrangements in case Flockdown comes back because as we've been talking, there's been yet another notification from the Animal Plant Health Authority who gives all the notifications to say yet another case of avian influenza in the UK. There's at least one a day coming through at the moment. So I would be shocked if we're not in Flockdown at some point in the UK again. Yeah. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see what they decide to do. Right. It's endemic now. It's naturally occurring all year round now. So I don't know whether they'll take a different view. I would hope so. 
But if they don't, we've made arrangements for lockdown again. So we're getting our lockdown tunnel set right. up and ready. And we have made arrangements with a lovely, friendly tree surgeon who's going to be bringing us clean wood chips as well. Um, once he's got some hardwood trees with leaves off. Yeah. So we are ready to go if and when that should happen. Good heavens. All part of that deep clean, get ready, do some fall stuff. One of the things I do in fall is I strip the next boxes. I oh, mean, really yeah. strip them. Yeah. Like go down to the bare wood on the inside. What's really good is we have those nest pads from Roosties in ours that are easy to clean. You take out, you shake the stuff off. And if yeah. you need to hose them off, they're easy. You stick them back in there. That also gives them a base to keep it warmer for the winter. Right. Yeah. I like to do that in fall because I like to get them out, make sure there are no creepy crawlies yeah. nesting underneath of them and yeah. deal with that. A lot of times I'll just sprinkle some diatomaceous earth. I'll put the pads in and then I'll put a nice thick layer of shavings in there. You ever notice in there that we have like four nest box in one. They all want to use one or two. And then the other two somehow always get so many shavings in them from kicking them. Yeah. Like, what are you girls doing in here? You haven't had a rooster. Fiona, you've probably seen this. I think the cutest thing on earth is when the rooster gets in the nest box to show the hen that it's a good place to lay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it does cute. that all the time. It's when they actually want to get in there with the hen so that they're sat <laughs> next to them when they're laying. That's even worse, especially when his backside is far too big for the nest box in the first place, even without a hen in there. Yeah. George does that. George will get it. And, but, you know, they're so tiny. You know, yeah. the nankins, they'll fit. But George likes to be in there with the girls, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, boy. So yeah. cute. Back to deep cleaning outside of the coop. Do you do anything with the outside of your coop in preparation for winter? I do. I clean it all off because I feel like during the spring and summer, it gets a buildup on it and I want it looking nice and pretty. Probably splashes of mud from our And it's going to get dirty again. Yeah. I like to keep it clean. I like to check everything, make sure there's no drafts, make sure all the nails are where they need to be. We'll do a fuel scrub down on the outside and the inside anyway as part of the monthly with the steam cleaner, with the insecticidal disinfectant. But at this time of year, I always do a full inspection, just like you, to see what kind of maintenance are we going to need to do on the coops. Right. And that's why I like the plastic ones. Thank you, Nestera. Oh, seriously. Get that yeah. in. Nestera coops, aren't they amazing? So easy to clean as well. But it's just so much easier to do it at this time of year. And then we can start to work out, well, which coops can we swap around? There's two coops, one called the main coop and one called the trailer coop that would only be the coops in use in winter. But if those are the coops that need maintenance, we will have a discussion on what can we swap around and move on to the places. All of our coops are sat on flagstones. That prevents the possibility of rodents having nests underneath the space. Even if you've got a raised coop, right. it's still warmer in the ground underneath. So we have them on flagstones and I will scrub it with Jay's fluid. So it's safe for the chickens, but it also disinfects all those paving slabs and flagstones as well. Always do that at this time of year. I think outside of coop, I probably do the same thing. Clean down some of the mud splash. My plastic coops, I just give a good scrub to. Because, you know, as the leaves come down, like stuff yeah. all over them. Then there's the birds flying over that eat the purple berries yep. and yeah, elderberries yep. or blueaces. Yeah. And there's purple poo everywhere. Yeah, it's a giant mess. You know, one of the things I love about the plastic coops and the Nestera in particular is that you can literally strip it and power wash it. 
You can because it only yeah. takes it doesn't and take very long to no. put it together and take it apart. And the Sarah, so. I love this, has drain holes yeah. in the middle of the floor. Yeah, I love I know. That. Yeah. None of the other plastic coops I've seen have those. And I saw it. The first time I thought, I said, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I love that. I've said this a thousand times. I love my Amish coops and I won't give them up. But the ease of cleaning with the plastic is yeah. second to none. I mean, that first time when you put it together, it, it does take a little bit longer. Yeah. But once you know how it's put together, you can take the whole right. thing apart in half an hour and pop it yeah. back together again yeah. in half yeah. an hour. So it takes the labor out of thinking, oh, I'm going to have to power wash it. It's so easy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Getting creepy crawlies out of a wooden coop can be a nightmare. But the Mm. plastic coop, you can just blast them out. You're going to be buying a steam cleaner now, aren't you? I can see it. Actually, I think we have one. You know, this just made me think. When I talk about the deep cleaning, I'm usually talking about my wooden coops because the plastic ones, I wipe them down as I need to. I clean them as I need to. It doesn't have to be a big process. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was opposed to plastic for so many years. I really, really was. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm sold. The sooner I can get rid of all, I mean, clearly I'm not going to get rid of wooden coops, which are perfectly serviceable at the moment. But I am sick of replacing panels. I really am. Yeah. So the sooner these ones fall apart, the better as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. I'm going to replace have, them all. I mean, we have it in conjunction with our Amish belt. And Amish belt yeah. are just fortresses. Yeah, but we don't yeah. have Amish communities, unfortunately. I know, I know. You're missing out. That's one thing you're missing out on. I mean, when we think back to July and the storm that took down the big, huge apple tree onto that coop, and it has like two shingles that, are that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing that that tree came down on it top and it saved those survived. chickens because they were under the coop and the coop took the weight of the entire tree. Yeah. They are like a fortress. So there are good and bad things in everything. But yeah, the ease of the plastic, definitely for deep cleaning, for getting ready for a fall. Yeah. It's good. So everybody out there, what do you do? Do you take a weekend? I tend to do it like on a Saturday afternoon, deep uh, clean. With all my coops, it's more like a weekend. Yeah. I spread it out. Actually, I do mine in rotation, actually. So I'm never doing do- more than two at a time. That's what I started to do with the plastic hoops. But I still have the three wooden ones to deal with. Yeah. My back wall on my wooden coop has gotten messy. And I might... From wipe- the roosting and it. Yeah. Like it- and I'm thinking yeah. about whitewashing it with lime. And I know some people do that during their deep spring clean because it can be an insect repellent. Right. Yeah. But I haven't done it before. It's just that for whatever, whatever reason, this spring and summer, they got really messy. So I might be doing that as part of the deep clean. I usually, that's try. where I get out the vinegar and just scrub it all. Like, I'm sure you do that too. It's gotten to the point where it's kind of discolored yeah. and it just doesn't look so pretty. So I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know if anybody else does that in the wallpaper. fall, but I could wallpaper it. It would be cute. It would be cute. It would be fancy. I don't know. I kind of <laughs> like that idea, actually. It's not with cute. expensive wallpaper because no. I'm not wasting that sort of wallpaper. My, my only thought process with the, with the wallpaper is if you're concerned about mold, build up yes. the little edges and things yeah, yeah it, it's true it can get mold behind it you yep. can get that it's like you don't have to paste it on like basically the peel peel, the peel and stick yeah yeah and then oh, you would take oh it yeah off. the the hard tacky sticky stuff yeah yeah i am a fan yeah, of that because i'm like it would look fancy i'll tell it. you what would work you know that sticky lino stuff that you can yeah. get yeah. yeah wipe clean wipe clean yeah. Kitchen coop walls. Well, the same stuff you use yeah. for the roost, the contact paper would work too. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. 
so many possibilities just for simple deep cleaning. I'm going to be out there. It's going to take me two weeks to deep clean because I'm going to be hanging chandeliers. Yeah. Anybody trying to get a hold of us, all three of us are going to be out in the chicken runs doing some deep cleaning. I've just got this vision now of this chandelier with, you know, the fan as well for summer. Oh, you that's know, so clever. You can just pull the little string you in can the use, You that can use chandelier. fan. You can yeah. use the ones that they put in lockers for high school and stuff. They have like they have little blowers. That or chandeliers or everything. They like, have chandeliers for lockers. Yeah. <laughs> you can stick them up. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my. All I was gonna ask is Fiona, do you have a video on deep cleaning? Well, I have one called Poops and Coops, which is part of chicken keeping for beginners. Okay. <laughs> which goes through cleaning cycles. So it does the daily, it does the monthly. And it also shows what we do with all of the poop and the soiled bedding, which we take out because we make very good use of it. Yeah, that sounds like a good. And I think we have an episode on that also, what to do with poop. That was our Earth Day episode. Yes, our Earth Day episode. I guess what this comes down to is that the deep clean is not just a deep clean. It's a changing cycle for the seasons, right? It's a process and it kind of feeds into a lot of our other processes. It's a chance to check out what you need to do with the coop to prepare the chickens for winter. Yeah. And to prepare yourself and to make it easier on you for the winter because trying to gather something when it's 20 degrees is not fun. Yeah. It's a good transition time to get things like the fans put away, heaters out, bowls out, all of that stuff. So yeah. So you now have two tasks. One is steam cleaners. Number (laughs) two is mini diggers. Yes. I need, yeah, I need a mini digger. I'd be dangerous. I have a, mini a steam digger. cleaner though. Yeah, but now you need the mini digger to get the electricity down to yes. the coop so you can use the steam <laughs> cleaner. Yes. Oh, That's how man. this works. Well, it was great talking to you, Fiona. Thank you so much for coming on this month and talking I love it. all I love about it. deep cleaning. If you want to see more of Fiona, head over to her YouTube channel, English Country Life, and check out the really helpful and absolutely beautiful videos there. Thank you. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you to Fiona one more time. We love our roundtable sessions with Fiona. Great information. If you want to see more from Fiona, head over to YouTube and follow her English Country Life channel there. Check out their fantastic videos. It's Flocktober. Right now, you can get 25% off Save a Chick FlockGuard Supplement. FlockGuard is a daily supplement that is packed full of the probiotics, vitamins, and minerals that your poultry needs. I love that the protein comes from dried whole eggs and it partners perfectly with the probiotics. It's a time of year that our flocks need lots of extra protein and vitamins to help them through their molt and keep their digestive tract happy. Use the code SAVE25 today for 25% off your purchase. Visit saveacalf.com. That's S-A-V-A-C-A-F.com. Try it today. Okay, so now let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Oh my God, this recipe is ridiculous. Okay, so it's October. What's the first thing you think of usually? Pumpkin. <laughs> Didn't even get it out. Pumpkin. I mean, everybody's like, fall, pumpkin, Look, fall, pumpkin. I don't want to hear anybody poo-pooing it because I've been growing pumpkins since some of y'all were in diapers. <laughs> so this old lady's going to have some chocolate chunk pumpkin cookies. Yeah, so if you like pumpkin and you love the health benefits of pumpkin... Put some chocolate chips with it. Make it a cookie. Make it super healthy. (laughs) As in the DiCarlo household, you'll probably add 16 pails of sugar and it'll be really good. It's a soft and cakey cookie. I like those big cakey cookies. Oh, they're good. Yeah. This one is really good. So super easy. You want a cup of pumpkin. So either canned 
or fresh puree, or even if you have frozen puree. I go canned. Let's just put that out there. I use frozen puree that I had, but I'll use canned too. I I mean, mean, the can, I always make sure I have canned. Well, I was growing pumpkins to use for my baking. They were a variety called the Winter Luxury Pumpkin. It's supposed to be one of the best baking pumpkins out there. Right. Well, I got to tell you, I'm a pretty good gardener, but not when it comes to containers. I kill everything in containers. (laughs) You know why? Because you have to water it. I water it because I water everything else. I think maybe I didn't feed it the right amount. Oh. Because my beautiful winter luxury pumpkins sprouted. They looked amazing. And then they just killed overnight. You know what I think too, though? I think Container Garden does take a special art because- I don't have it. When you're in the ground, there's certain nutrients that your plants are going to get from the ground. If we're in the ground or in a raised bed, I am on it. My soil mix must be fantastic. But when you have to add the stuff in, sometimes they don't get- everything they need and it's it's definitely harder with container well pumpkins. next year the winter luxury pumpkins are not going in a container they're going in the ground so. okay so let's move on so you need a cup of our favorite here at the DiCarlo house white sugar <laughs> <laughs> have a cup of vegetable oil and one large egg so uh-huh. we're using recipes that are going to use a little less eggs right now because you're getting less eggs right you are I got zero eggs yesterday I got four I and got I got a lot of chickens This is one of those recipes where, God forbid, you don't want pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. I always have to have pumpkin pie. Yeah, me too. And Pete loves it even more than I do. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes, like my family's, I don't want anything big. So, hey, here, pumpkin chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. Okay. So, we have vanilla, two cups of flour, which you can use gluten-free, one-to-one or regular, two teaspoons of baking powder, a teaspoon of baking soda, because we want these to rise. Yes. Cinnamon, ginger, nutmegs, and cloves. That's all those special spices of this time of the year. Everything that you're going to want to taste and smell and everything. Yes. Salt, and then... Two cups of chocolate chips. Or chunks. Yeah, the chunks will work too. Chunks sometimes give it even more texture. I really like the chunks, but I had chips, and so that's when I developed the recipe. The chips went in. This I will say also... It's a super simple recipe to make. You mix up the dry in one bowl, you mix up the wet in another, and you combine them. You take the dry and you add it slowly. There you go. You don't even have to add it slowly with these cookies. Yeah. Just add it and stir. We always, on our baking sheets, on our this side, I always put parchment paper in for all my cookies. I always use pats. They do the same thing. Yeah. Both are the same. Now, this is something I want to mention. And I don't know if this is because I was using frozen puree. But my pumpkin, when I thawed it, was kind of watery. Yeah. And so my batter was kind of watery. So easy peasy fix. I put it in the freezer for 10 minutes. There okay. you go. It was I could see go. that though because once you freeze it, you're going to have more moisture in it. It was just firm enough that you could get it in sort of a ball on the yeah. cookie sheet. Yeah. Because before I did that, I'd put it on there and it would spread out. And you don't get a thick cakey cookie if your batter spreads out like that. No, 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 you don't. So that's just a little tip. You're going to drop these by the spoonful, like we just said, and then bake for anywhere between 10 and 12 minutes. My oven runs hot, so I did 10 and that was perfect. Here's the thing to remember with doing cookies. They're going to bake for an additional minute to two or three minutes when you take them out of the oven. So if they don't look exactly done, but you want a moist cookie, you need to take them out a little sooner and then let them finish baking on the counter. Ella had a problem. She made these jumongo cookies. Yeah. And then she's like, they're not done. They're not done. They're not done. And then it was like, they're, they're burned. They're done. Yeah. <laughs> so if you keep everything uniform, you shouldn't have a problem. Yeah. And it's usually all cookies are 11 to 13, somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I took my, my oven runs hot. I took them at a 10. You're probably fine at 11 to 12. Yeah. Mine runs a little cool. So okay. I end up going like 13 minutes for mine. Okay. It always happens. And these make about two and a half to three dozen. 
depending upon how you size them. Right. I made mine a little bigger, so I got about two and a half dozen out of them. I love big cookies. Yeah, me And I too. must not lie. Right? These are ridiculously good. It's not a hard recipe, and they're so good. You're going to say, like, I got the health benefits from the pumpkin out there. And the Pumpkin's chocolate. Pumpkin's great for you. Cookies are great. <laughs> cookies, cookies are great for you. Cookies are great. If you're having a bad day, you eat a cookie. If you're having a great day, you eat a cookie. I've never met that many people that don't like cookies. Cookies so, are always appropriate. Is that what we're saying? Any time of the day. So try the recipe. Let us know what you think. Let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's Retail Therapy, we wanted to just sit down and talk a little bit about the things that you're going to need to start winterizing, to start getting ready for the fall. Because we've had some questions, we've had some emails and DMs regarding what should I use for these different things? And we've talked about it before, but we think it's worth a re-mention because everyone right now is going to be getting ready for winter. Right. This is kind of your winter stock up. Make sure you have all these things. And you need to get them now. Trust us. Oh, yeah. Because when you really need them, you won't be able to get them. Exactly. You can't find them. We've lived it. We've done it. We know it. This is all of our years of experience telling you. So right now is the time. Let's talk about some of the things that you may need for the winter. Let's start basics. Heavy duty industrial extension cords. Yeah. If you do not have electricity running to your coops and runs, a lot of us don't. I am in that category. And my coop and run is on the back of my three acres so I need extra long, extra industrial. You need the heavy duty, cords. yeah. Heavy duty, heavy duty, cords. all weather. All weather can be out in the snow, and that's the thing; they are weatherproof. I wouldn't want them out there constantly in two weeks underwater. Right, and I always take the connections and wrap them uh-huh. to keep them even more safe. He does this ingenious thing where he makes a cover from two plastic cups. You were telling me about that. It before. works really well to keep them weatherproof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. So if you're out there, you take the bottoms of the plastic cups, you run it through the middle, and the two cups together protect the Right. The wide parts yeah. go together. You can get a thing to cover electric, but we couldn't find them big enough yeah. to cover the heavy-duty ones. Yeah. Now, here's my suggestion. If you do need industrial strength extension cords, you know you're going to need some place to plug them in. I always recommend, and we have them on our Amazon store, are the stand-up outlets that are weatherproof for Christmas lights and everything else. Pretty much everything we're talking about, with one exception, and I'll tell you what that one is, are on our Amazon storefront. Yes. So it's right there if you hear something that you think, oh, I want that or like Mm -hmm. that. We just have it there so that it's a good place to keep everything in case you want to go look at it. We use heavy-duty three-prong three-way splitters, Mm -hmm. and you can find them. They're not even that expensive. You can find them on Amazon, your big box store. I really like the stand in the ground with the stake because it has like five to six outlets on there. And we don't use them. And the reason why we don't use them is because we have exterior outlets that we're coming right off of. Yeah. But they really are fantastic. I've had a couple of listeners email about them recently. I really love it because you can plug like, you know, three to four things in there and it's all one thing. You put it in the ground. It's right there in the middle. You can make it central. Let's face it, in the winter, at some point, you will need some electricity, whether you get it from running from your house or you have electric already out there. So what are some of the things you need electricity for? So let's go into that. Let's go to our heated water bowls. Right. Now, we use heated dog bowls. Yep. They're just large enough that they can hold a lot of water. Mm -hmm. Most of the hens reach them no problem, although my Swedish flower pansy insists on getting on the side of the dish (laughs) and drinking. I don't know why she does. She likes it that way. 
I don't know about you, but I've never found one particular brand that I like better than others. You They're can get them at major farm supply stores like Tractor Supply, different places. You can order them on Amazon. Yeah, everything They're on, on our here. storefront. Yeah. Now's the time to get them. We get them at our local farm supply store, the mill. There's other people that really believe in having the little heaters that you put in, the water also, like if you have nipples. I don't use that. Mine, I like, it just plugs in. It's yeah. out there. I did have someone write to us recently who lived much farther north than we do. I think she's in New England. And she was asking if it would be better to have poultry water or nipples yes, in a heated that. system because of the danger of frostbite. To the comb and waddles. waddles. right. If they're dipping in the water. Um, and I think she makes an excellent point. I don't have that experience. Yeah. So if you've had them on a bowl for a very long time, it's going to be a hard thing to switch them over to. Yeah. I mean, Ricardo did occasionally dip comb and waddles. We'll have plenty of nights that are super cold, but we don't have that many days that it gets below freezing. Yeah. But if you're someplace north, you might want to look into a different system like that. And if you want to do that, I suggest you start early before you start with the bowl. Because once they get, get the them bowl, used to the nipples. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that you're going to need some electricity for is a cozy coop heater. So if you want to keep your babies nice and cozy, and well, not over cozy. Well, uh, let's explain it real quick. I do not understand this, but I've seen like on forums and social media, I've seen people go in tooth and nail about heaters. But it's really not that big of a deal, to be honest with I'm you. like, y'all are having a throwdown over so something. So right that- now, radiant panel heating is very safe. The big argument before was that when you had a heat lamp, it would spark a fire. And that is still the argument. It can very easily. Right. So heat lamps are, for us, a no-no, you know, out there. There are professional chicken keepers who have used heat lamps in the North for decades with no problem. But we have a safer alternative. There's a safe alternative now that you can feel good about. So the Cozy Coop heaters, and that's the brand we use and like, but there are other brands on the market. Any kind of panel heater you can get right on Amazon. It's the same technology as the EcoGrow brooder plates that are so popular right now. Right. The other argument against heaters was that the claim was that you would overheat the chickens too much and they'd be coming out in the cold. Right. And they can acclimate that fast. So let's explain how these radiant heaters work. They're zero clearance, meaning it doesn't matter if something touches them. It's not going to- So if their feathers touch them, right. you're okay. Not going to catch on fire. And you can set um, them low or high. You can set them low and they don't overheat the coop too much. So in my small coop where I had two rooster bachelors, mm-hmm. we had a cozy coop heater in there. This is the first year we used them. These boys have enormous combs yeah. that are very much in danger of frostbite. So we put the heater in, we put it on low- Pete went out and checked it several times over the night to see what the temperature was. It only got to about 30. Yeah. So all you're doing with these heaters is you're keeping everything from freezing. Yeah. It's not like a big warm heat. Right. If you put it on high, like touching it will feel warm. Yeah. But it's not over warming the area. Well, to put it in perspective, my napkins (laughs) used to perch when they were babies. They would perch. Yeah. So it's pretty safe. It's quite safe. If you have a really big coop, you might need more than one. Right. My really big coop, we do have two in there because of the Egyptian Fayumis. Right. So if you have a coop packed with Orpington hens, you probably don't need heat. Bigger chickens bring on more body heat. You have to look at their comb size and everything. So you have to do what's right for you. Right. So we call them cozy coop panel heaters. I call them radiant panel heaters. Yeah. That would be the next thing that you would be using for electricity. Right. And so our loose guidelines are if you have roosters with big combs and waddles, if you have Mediterranean breeds, if you have bantams, or if you have any elderly chickens or other breed that really feels the cold, that's when you might want to consider. Or if you have not a lot of chickens in a big space. Oh, yeah. That's another one. That's the other reason. Yeah. 
So let's move on to tarps. Tarps. One of my favorite things. Well, if you're in a climate where you have a lot of cold wind, these are a lifesaver for your chickens. I, you don't have to tarp the whole entire run. And that is kind of a misconception. Everyone's like, you're going to cut off ventilation. Yes, you will. Well, what the heck are you doing? Are you covering the top? If you're not covering the top, you're fine. Yeah. So I just cover a corner. So they have several feet on two sides. Yes. Yeah. To have a wind block. And I pick the outermost corner where the wind would be coming through. And that's where I put the tarp. You can also do that with plywood or something like that. I like the tarps you use. You use those clear ones that still let the sunlight through. Let's the sunlight in. And they're made for greenhouses. Greenhouse grade. They are thicker. Yeah. And they still radiate the heat in from the sun. They come with grommets and they're easy to tie up. I've done it myself and I've heard from other people. If you go cheap and use the blue ones, they get shredded after a while. And they just don't look as nice. I like oh, they the don't clear. look as nice now. The clear is like, it's not even anything. We know people who will cover the entire run and that's fine if you want to do that too, but make sure you do have ventilation. So the last thing that we think is a really good idea to keep on hand if you're expecting winter precipitation are bags of very large size shavings. Yeah. And they are a lifesaver when you have ice or snow and you need to get your chickens out of the coop, but you don't have time to shovel the run. I am always out there. It is so funny when I'm shoveling the run. I'm like, I can't believe I have to shovel And the this girls are in the window looking at you. And I just feel so bad for them. I would not want to be walking on ice or snow. No, no. They're stepping on it. They're feeling it. Or they can slip. Yeah, they can slip. They can fall. They feel ice. They feel cold. Right. So having some big shavings, it can be the large ones. Yeah, so that so you, you can throw them down. You don't have to worry about anyone trying to eat them. And we all, everybody knows if you listen all along, we don't like straw. Straw has gotten us in trouble before. Shavings are the way to go. Yeah, the big shavings, they're not that expensive. You can just keep a couple of bags on hand yeah. and empty them out when you need to do it. Yeah. So check for most everything. It's on our Amazon store if you like anything that you heard. But this is basically just get it now, get ready. Winter is coming. Just some things to think about and be prepared. So let's tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week. Oh, next week is good. And it's episode 99. It is. Our breed spotlight, we're doing the Sussex 2.0. That's what a fantastic breed. Due to great demand and about 1,001 questions, our main topic is going to be how to feed your fall pullets. Yes, it is. So the girls you have that are starting to lay now that were chicks in the spring, we're going to talk you through that. So many questions, we're going to answer them. We have a special guest for cracking the eggs. Yes, we do. We have Lisa Steele coming on. She's going to share her recipe for pumpkin spice pancakes. We're doing pumpkin again, everybody. We We might do pumpkin for the rest of the month. Yeah. And our retail therapy, we're going to be talking about cooking eggs in cast iron cookware. Oh, it's going to be fun. Fun, yeah. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.